law enforcement have difficult jobs to do because there's a fine balance regarding freedom. The Second Amendment is not absolute. You can't have a rocket launcher, okay, in an urban setting and literally believe that that is prudent policy, okay? They have a right to protect us as a public. Mm -hmm. And so that tool, that tank, that RPG should be limited from harming hundreds. At the same time, if you live in Montana, (laughs) I love Montana, by the way, um, and you have, you know, 40 acres, then sure enough, um, maybe not so much an RPG, (laughs) but it's a different environment. It's It's a different circumstance that law enforcement needs to react in a different way. And so an urban setting, law enforcement has a fine line on how to proactively and aggressively um, keep people safe. Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Sarab Sharma. I'm the president of American Moment, and this week it's just me again. Uh, it was supposed to be Nick and I, but uh, he has befallen of monkeypox. No, uh, he has just the flu, uh, and it's not the COVID either. He uh, is uh, at home resting, uh, but he'll be back with us next week. Um, today, I think it's episode 70, and we have a fantastic a guest for you guys today, uh, something a little bit different than we typically do. Um, this man is a public policy expert, but that's not actually how we got to know him. I guess not technically. Uh, we had on today Leon Spears, who is the only, I think, firearms instructor in the District of Columbia. Uh, he is the guy you go to if you would like to get a concealed carry permit or a handgun license in the District of Columbia. Um, he's the one who got me mine, and people are always surprised when they find out that that I, I and some of my friends have one because it's extraordinarily hard to get. Leon's the guy that helped us do that. As always, make sure to check out AmericanMoment.org. There you can find everything else we have cooking and that we're working on. Uh, Everything is uh, always insane over here. Uh, I'm on the road five or six days a week sometimes doing stuff for American Moment, but that's the job and it's the best one in D.C. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But as I said, our guest today is Leon Spears, who is the owner of DCConcealedCarry.com. He's a Maryland State Police Firearms Instructor, District of Columbia Firearms Instructor. He's authorized to certify applicants for concealed carry in New Jersey, and he's the go-to source for concealed carry education certification in the National Capital Region. Uh, Leon is just a ton of fun. Um, I became a vastly better shot after uh, taking one of his classes to the point where it kind of scares friends of mine when I go shooting with them. Uh, I'm not anything world-class or competitive or whatever, but uh, just in terms of lay shooting, going to the range and, and, uh, you know, doing some headshots. I'm not, I'm not terrible. Um, 
DC is a more dangerous place every single day, and uh, we feel a moral responsibility as we try to drag as many of you as possible into coming into the fight over here to make sure that you guys don't get shot by some random vagrant on the streets. And so that's why we we thought we'd feature the gentleman who can maybe help you guys get get yourself some some home defense. And as always, uh, be sure to rate and review the podcast. But we'll go now to Leon Spears. Leon, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, we always like to hear about how people got to where they are today. How'd you end up becoming the expert on firearms that I'm aware of in the District of Columbia? Well, I went to school here. I went to Howard University. Then I went to George Washington University. And I decided to essentially train people. I went to a couple of classes and my parents were teachers and I had a knack for, you know, uh, instruction. And I started shooting at the range and then guiding people on how to shoot better. And people came up to me and they were like, well, you know, you have a great personality. Um, have you ever been thinking about, you know, instructing people officially? I said, I've never thought about that. You know, it's just a you know, hobby. And then I started getting really good. And I trained just off the cuff someone from a certain agency in D.C. And then he said um, uh, that I was providing him one of the greatest uh, like little nitpicky instruction sessions ever mm -hmm. and he's like you need to get certified so i took his advice i got certified i went up the food chain and um, went to multiple agencies and decided, decided to get trained and then therefore i then started owning different um urls different different websites um different um podcast forms and then i said okay i can do this literally as an instructing a person. And then I started uh, uh, opening my company and uh, the following started, yeah. When was that? 2012, 2012. So I started becoming first a Maryland firearms instructor. Then after becoming a Maryland firearms instructor, then I pursued um, Delaware firearms instruction and then Virginia firearms instruction. But then D.C. was going through that turmoil, and I bought the, the domain dcconcealedcarry.com, and people before it, the law actually changed, people were like, that's never going to happen. And, you know, I was like, well, we'll see, you know. And so um, I was bold enough to actually develop a website and everything before the law even happened. And there was a t essentially a buzz. And then when the law actually changed in D.C. Um, post the Heller case, then um, people started coming to me and then I was already prepared. I was a firearms instructor. I got blessed by uh, the chief of police in the District of Columbia. And then um, everything started from there. And then people um, started trying to become firearms instructors. They could not at first. And then I had the lock on, you know, DC cause I was early and then I provided excellent training and then people knew I was that guy and it was just great. Yeah. Uh, walk us through because I think it's, it's far enough ago that people tend to forget exactly what the contours of the Heller decision was. What exactly happened during the Heller decision? Why was DC the place that was, uh, um, you know, being adjudicated at the Supreme Court? And, and what was your involvement with that case? Okay. Um, well, I know, uh, Rich Heller. Um, he's just a phenomenal person in my opinion. So in 2008, um, the Heller case, as it's called, um, um, Rich 
Rich actually sued the District of Columbia via MPD because he wanted to register a regulated firearm. Um, there was a long-standing, decades-old ban on regulated firearms in the District of Columbia. You could have a long gun, a shotgun, an antique, or um, a long-standing um, um, old grandfathered in history of, let's say, a relic. Um, but you could not have one broken, uh, and it had to be broken down. You could not have one assembled and ready for use for self-defense. That was a long-standing um, policy in the District of Columbia. And, and the category that's not included the biggest category in those lists that you just mentioned is handguns that was just yes explicit. but regulated mm -hmm. yeah regulated handguns um, were off limits um for use of self-defense even in your home and so he's a dc resident so he he sued because he wanted to register a regulated firearm they denied him and then he took him all the way up to the Supreme Court and he won. And that's the landmark case, Heller versus D.C. And he sued on two fronts. He sued on keep and bear arms, just like the Second Amendment affords us. He won the keep argument, but he did lose the bear argument. So based on the Heller case, you could not walk around the city with one, um, but you could now keep one. And then sure enough, he registered his firearm and then he grew some more courage and he sued D.C. two additional times in 08 and he won both of those um, but based on the Heller 3 case four additional things became unconstitutional so number one you no longer have to take a written exam um, in order to get a weapon in DC that became unconstitutional number two you no longer are limited to registering one firearm per every 30 day period um, that also became unconstitutional and then you no longer have to take um, your firearms down for physical inspection or ballistic testing. That also became unconstitutional. And then lastly, you don't no longer have to re-register and pay. So once you register a firearm in the District of Columbia, it's registered for life until you either destroy it or sell it. So that was just landmark based on the Heller three case, as it's called um, those things becoming unconstitutional really had the gamut of registering firearms in the district of Columbia. And then people started registering them, but they still could not walk around with one. Um, and then the Palmer case happened. And so uh, Mr. Palmer then sued and um, he won the bare argument that Heller had lost. And that was in 2014. OK. Um, and then it really got certified in 2014. And then sure enough, um, D.C. had 90 days to become compliant. And then upon the 90th day, that was October 23rd of 2014, the application went live on MPD's website. And then people started applying for concealed carry. Paint a picture for me. What was the landscape of gun ownership like in Washington prior to all of these cases, because obviously there were guns here. They were owned, my guess is, in some combination of criminal hands. And because this is such a heavily securitized town, there was a lot of ownership, you know, private security and, and in other places. What, what, what was what was the landscape of gun ownership in Washington like before all this? Well, people could own guns again, um, but it was a rampant decision by multiple um administrations in D.C., local government, um, that really had a poo-poo on gun ownership um, and self-protection. Um, behind closed doors, people wanted to defend themselves, but they really did not want guns um, in the streets at all. Um, people 
um, did not get trained well. There were no instructions, uh, instructors. Um, there was very, very few um, uh, real advocates for guns. D.C. Council was very anti-gun, and it was just an environment that was not healthy for um, self-protection. When people started understanding that, oh, I can get a firearm, but I also need to be trained, you know, then it just opened up the gamut of, you know, I can have this gun, but at least I should know how to use it, you know. So um, 2014 was just landmark, um, but but it was still very aggressive um, for not having a firearm on your person. So, yes, you could apply, but you had to actually really show proof. And there were reasons back then before, obviously, the Bruin case. Um, so there were reasons that you had to apply. You had to, you had to actually solidify, you know, what your background was. You had to prove that you're carrying significant amounts of cash on you and things of that nature. If you were, were assaulted physically or threatened, um, you got a concealed carry permit. But you had to go through a long vetting process um, to prove to the government that you actually um, can exercise your Second Amendment. Did you get the sense that there was a big appetite to be able to uh, carry a handgun prior to oh. it being legalized? I oh, mean, did yes. you hear about this all the time? Oh, yes. Um, when 2014 happened, again, when I started my company, there was no other firearms instructor. And then on top of that, um, no one had a permit. And I was the first person in the country with a DC concealed carry permit. So I was issued a, a firearm um, to have my person in 2014. The issue happened to be the process of people believing that that actually could happen. They were like, okay, well, we, kn we know you, you have a website. <laughs> we know that you're a firearms instructor. Um, but are you serious? <laughs> like, like it, I was going through like a real, a really hardcore um, uphill battle with actually having people believe because they were so jaded in DC that I don't believe they're going to give me that right. You know, I'm like, you've already had, you've always had that right. Yeah. You know, so that was years. And still um, some officers, some police officers come up to me. And I'll wear, you know, one of my logo shirts or something and I'm getting a sandwich in the city and they're like, you know, that will never happen. Like, well, <laughs> Sir, it's happened. It's so, been this way for you years. like to see my concealed carry permit? Uh, so, but it, it's a, 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 literally, it's a jaded concept of, you know, the government is now allowing me. And so, um, we're we're a country that is blessed that our government has allowed its citizenry to be armed. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm just fortunate enough to be at the tip of the spear, you know, to, you know, train people and, you know, essentially educate people, empower people. You don't have to actually carry a gun, you know, um, just come to class, you know, get educated, empowered on how to use a gun, how to break it down. You know, it's an emergency preparedness thing. Um, my background is emergency preparedness. I asked um, some of my clients, uh, what's the last time you did a fire drill with your family? You know, and it's like <laughs> old school, you know, like elementary school, you know, like when's the last time you did a fire drill? Well, I haven't done a fire drill in 20 years. Okay, why? You know, people die in fires, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's like you don't have a conversation when there's smoke, mm -hmm. you know. So um, you just need to be prepared, you know, just empower yourself with education. It's a, it's a, it's a skill, yeah. you know, so yeah. 
I think that's that's very right. On that day, you said October twenty third, twenty fourteen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that first application like? What were the hoops people had to jump through in order to get their concealed carry permit in the wash in Washington D.C.? Okay, so MPD Metropolitan Police Department they originally had three reasons that they approved. And at least one of the three had to be on your application or you'd be immediately denied. Mm-hmm. So number one, you had to be either sexually assaulted, physically abused, threatened, and by police record. And if that occurred and they could substantiate that you were actually being um, threatened legitimately, you were issued a concealed care permit. Um, number two, you are a business owner and you are registered um, in DCRA um, with your business physical footprint in DC proper and you also could have um, protected or managed significant amounts of cash either on your person or valuables in transport if you could actually prove that um, then sure enough you got a concealed care permit or thirdly you are protecting an invalid who cannot protect him or herself so a lot of times on um, the 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 example that I always give is a jewelry store owner and he's, you know, 85 years old and blind in one eye. Well, you are the handsome store manager. Everybody knows you as the face of the company. So sure enough, somebody um, comes in a client of the old man's. Okay. And threatens the old man. You would be issued a concealed carry permit to protect yourself, the jewelry and the old man who could not. That was protecting an invalid. One of those three had to be on your application or you'd be immediately denied. So that was a pro- that was a problem from the beginning. Um, people would just kind of balked at that a lot and they would just say, you know, I'm not doing that and just put in the applications and their applications would be obviously denied. But um, if you fell in one of those three categories, you still have to be vetted um, subjectively by MPD. And even if you had one of those three, it didn't guarantee um, in a shall issue stance that you would be getting one. So that's the floodgates were incredible at the beginning. You know, like what's going on? You know, how do I get a concealed care permit? So that was just that was just incredible. Um, So people applied and a lot of them got denied. And so that process originally um, no one was getting them. Okay, and then sure enough, um, there was only one way to get one, and that was because after you applied, you have to be certified by a firearms instructor, and DC had none. So it was kind of a loophole, and people, you know, threatened MPD to say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sue you because you're acting in bad faith. You know, you have no intention on giving a concealed carry permit. And so sure enough, I got a call. They were like, hey. Um, we, we like we like what you're doing in the city. Um, you're making the city look compliant. Um, you're not even a D.C. resident. So, um, you know, can you help us with regard to, you know, getting a format for firearms instructors together? So I did that. And so there, therefore, everything worked out. You know, so I was blessed to be in that opportunity in opportune space um, to become the first firearms instructor as well. And I started certifying people accordingly. And, And how did that application change in the intervening eight years? So sure enough, um, that was very, very easy. Um, people started going to, um, uh, calling my office and getting trained and, um, and it was just a really good, 
um, prospect of me learning the process of how people needed a curriculum. They needed to actually go through the process, get a curriculum, and then go from there. And so that was a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what um what is the landscape of firearm ownership uh become like in in DC, mm. Virginia, and Maryland in the intervening uh few years? Have you noticed a substantial change in, in the culture of how people see it? Um, do you think cities gotten safer, or less safe because of it? How, how have you kind of assessed the the macro landscape? Um, from a macro perspective, the city's gotten safer from the standpoint of people are able to defend themselves, and the criminals are realizing that there are more firearms in the in the environment that they can't just blindly come up and then, um, you know, assault somebody and have zero confidence that they might have a firearm. Okay. So that has changed. Um, but the city also, because of also social interactions, um, different high end, um, very prominent law cases have happened over the last four or five, six years. And that prominence of talking about social justice um, has created an angst. So there are a lot of, um, uh, you know, um, things in the in the city that actually um, warrants people, you know, having a firearm and wanting to defend themselves. Um, but the criminals will always, you know, not go through a process of, you know, I'm going to apply, I'm going to get vetted and things of that nature. They're always going to have guns. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are now empowered to say, you know, I can have a firearm. You mm-hmm. know? For sure. Um, what um, what what these days would you say is the case for someone who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience shooting, um, is not, um, you know, mm-hmm. particularly enamored with guns as a hobby. Uh, what, what do you think the case is for civilian gun ownership in, a, in you know, Nova, Maryland, and, and D.C.? Well, I really pride myself um, by educating jurisdictional awareness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Maryland, as an example, is not an open carry state. Mm-hmm. By legal definition, they're not an open carry state for regulated handgun. Um, D.C. is not. D.C. is not an open carry jurisdiction, but Virginia is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you need to know the regulations upon the gamut of, you know, uh, purviews of this is a county. This is a city. um, This is rural. This is urban. You need to know that jurisdictional awareness. Um, Maryland is. A permit to carry. Um, they they're not a concealed carry uh, issuance. Um, so you can carry a firearm with your handgun permit in Maryland in different ways. Okay, you're not limited to only concealing. Um, a lot of people don't know that. Okay, D.C. Um, there's no open carry whatsoever, but you you're limited to also just concealing and just a pistol. Okay, so no long gun or shotgun um, can uh, can be applicably um, um, uh, uh, associated with your handgun permit um, in the District of Columbia. Whereas Virginia, Virginia has a concealed carry permit for residents and non-residents, just like the other two jurisdictions. But um, Virginia's constitution 
says that open carry is the law of the land in Virginia. So you can openly carry um, and you need no um, license um, to openly carry. Um, in order to conceal in Virginia, you do need to have a concealed carry permit from any jurisdiction in the country. So um, that's how the, the jurisdictional awareness um, needs to be understood um, when you carry a fireman in this region. You know, mm -hmm. It's very, very important. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, okay, I'm just going to cross the line for five minutes and <laughs> jail. That's not cool. <laughs> that, I, I still have it burned into my memory when uh, when we did um, the, the training with you. You know, every time you'd ask us a question, um, you know, to kind of test us throughout the day, it was like, you know, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And we would say the wrong answer. You'd be like, straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> straight to jail. Yeah, just, it's very important. You know, most people, again, don't know. Um, so it's just it's just really, really important to, to realize that. Um, most people don't understand how important it is to actually have a real grasp of the laws. The law is a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, you could um, you can you can go for a certain point, and then um, you can you can ask your friends. You can watch YouTube, and you can get all the advice you want. Um, but the street officer is hopefully going to apply the law as it is. Mm -hmm. And that can be a pro and a con. And if you're sloppy, um, then you can get in trouble. Um, so I really emphasize people to really get their act together and say, um, what do I need to know to comfortably carry a firearm fluidly? Um, in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, um, some people think, oh, I can get one permit and I can carry in all three jurisdictions. No, that's not true. Um, there are things that you really need to know how to speak to police officers, you know, um, what your rights are, what wearable policies, you know, uh, body camera policies, um, how long can an officer keep you? Uh, you know, uh, without a warrant, um, you know, are there disclosure doctrines? Um, do you have to disclose to law enforcement that you have a firearm? You know, there there are multiple things that you need to understand. It's a great responsibility to carry a firearm. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just cool, you know, um, but um, the whole point of self-defense is exactly that. You know, God forbid that you ever have to draw the firearm. But if you do, then um, you can really make it happen. You know, do you feel like the spirit of a right to keep and bear mm. arms is operative with such a Byzantine process. Plus, not to mention the time it can often take between these different steps to actually get everything. Yeah, uh, I get that question a lot um, because people don't realize, um, again, the bad guy's not doing this. Okay, mm. They're not getting vetted by... You know, DEA, FBI, ATF, Homeland Security, Metropolitan Police Department, um, HHS for mental health. They're not getting screened yeah. by these agencies. That's Furthermore, six different agencies, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's just at a minimum, you know, that's not cool um, for the understanding of if you are a law abiding person. That's just 
the prying of the government. But the Second Amendment is not absolute. Um, you can go through a process per local, either state's rights, and in this case, the the, the district rights. But at the same time, um, then you have to purchase fire. So you're talking about being cost prohibitive of a process. So you have to get trained. That's a cost. And then you have to purchase a firearm. That's a cost. And then you have to purchase ammo. That's a cost. And then you have to register a gun. That's a cost. Then you have to pay uh, the government agency for processing. That's a cost. So that process could be a grand. You know, for some people thinking, you know, I want to defend myself, yeah. you know, Maybe more than the cost of your first gun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Without question. You yeah. know, so um, if you want to get a traditional semi-automatic is five hundred, six hundred dollars. You're thinking, OK, that's just the firearm, mm-hmm. you know, and so then you have to couple on, OK, what's training you know, what's the government fee, um, the process of my my background. Um, it, it's just it could be cost prohibitive, you mm-hmm. know. And then on top of that, you want to be proficient. So I always advise my clients the first year of gun ownership is paramount. And then I always advise come to training with me the first month. OK. And then the second month you go by yourself. Okay, you go by yourself, but do everything that I told you. Okay, don't go with your friends, just serious, dedicated time. That would be great. Then the third month, you come back to me and I'll correct all the boo boos. Okay, and then we do that for a year. Okay, six with me, six by yourself. At the end of the year, you will be fantastic of a shooter. Um, But then it's the dedication of being proficient. You know, just don't have a gun there looking pretty. You know, it's a tool, you know, that if you want to use it for self-defense, then upon drawing it, um, you want to be excellent. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to be good. You have to put in time. You know, it's a it's a perishable skill. What do you make of the the feasibility of of kind of being a good Samaritan? Like, I mean, there's been a recent uh, story of a, mm. of a of a shooting that was aborted very quickly because someone was like, "Nope," and uh, took down the other guy. Mm. Um, it, do, do you think that's something that's actually reasonable for your typical citizen to expect to be able to do in a high intensity, high stress situation? Absolutely not. I I just people really need to understand um, that person was very fortunate. Um, You're not civilly immune. Okay. So sure enough, um, you would need to be heavily trained, have great muscle memory, be very confident, be very accurate. And then on top of that, know how to speak to law enforcement um, and then hope and pray that nothing goes awry. Um, Did you have a stray round that hit an innocent person? Do you have insurance? Do you have an attorney, you know, on retainer? Um, What are the criminal actions of, you know, um, maiming somebody, you know, um, even though you had no intent to maim somebody. Okay. Now you have, a stray round hit Nana, 
Okay, so now Nana's, you know, um, a vegetable because you hit her spinal cord. Like, like, okay, yeah, the the bad guy's down, but so is Nana. You know, so um, there there are a lot of things that go into that. Um, People don't realize um, what you will do under stress, and um, it's not usually pretty. You know, Um, what are the ramifications of having mistake? Um, Israel uh, did uh, the country of Israel did a whole revamping of their um, carry laws a couple years ago, where essentially everyone can go through extensive training. And I'm talking about 150 hours, I think, um, um, 200 hours of extensive weapon training and then carry firearms. Okay. Um, But uh, what are the ramifications of, you know, um, hitting somebody by accident? What are the ramifications of your family? Is it you could you um, you're you're the let's say the financial uh, bear for your family and now you're in prison. You can't go to work. Um, now your family's destitute because, you know, you're a criminal or you've been civilly um, sued Um Israel doesn't have a second amendment. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your second amendment doesn't say that, um, we are not, um, protected from civil liabilities. Um, so you have to really, really be, um, careful and confident, um, uh, with the skills just because you can shoot a firearm doesn't mean you should shoot a firearm. And, um, what happens if he was wrong? What happens if that was a toy gun and he was just, an ignorant person. Okay. Now you've engaged somebody. Um, what, what's the ramifications? What are the ramifications of that? Mm-hmm. You know, so you just have to really be careful. Um, just because you um, can have a gun doesn't mean that you're protected from all civil liabilities. Right. Know? And then there was a last well, two weeks ago, there a really regard about that food court, you know, case about politically how people called him a good Samaritan. And on the hill, on Capitol Hill, because we're here, you know, um, uh, it just happened to be that people were saying, you know, don't call him a good Samaritan. And I'm thinking, like, uh, what, what, what else would you call? <laughs> like, like yeah, you know, I mean, he saved lives. You know, it's just like he saved lives. And two other people, I believe, got killed in that situation. Two or three. And um, I'm just thinking, like, what happens if he had not been there? You know, like you have to always think on both sides. If he had not been there and he killed 40. Right. Um, you would call the the police officers that took him out heroes. Mm-hmm. OK. Um, but I think what he did was uh, an outstanding thing. Mm-hmm. And we just live in a situation in a, in a society where situations will happen like that. Mm-hmm. And they have to understand that um, there's a great responsibility to have a firearm. Mm-hmm. But there are great responsibilities for liabilities that you know, you know, you're opening the, the the box. You know, if if you're if you're a bad shot, if you um, if you don't have the right temperament, um, there will be some problems. Red flag laws. I hear oh, that man. there's more of those coming. What do you make of red flag laws? I am very, very leery of um, preemptively. Um, taking somebody's um, firearm away 
on the basis of an inquiry. Um, I, I'm very, very, uh, I don't want to say anti, um, even though that might be the, <laughs> the correct um, description. I am not in favor of solidifying somebody's restrictions to somebody else's inquiry. Um, okay, I think this person has um, um, a threat to himself or herself going a uh, situation going on and just go get their guns. Okay. Now hindsight is always 2020. 20. If the person's really mentally ill or they need to be rent, uh, uh, mentally assessed. Um, so be it. Everybody looks great. Okay. But what happens if it's just an argument? What happens if now the person's involuntarily now confined Right. Then that's that goes to, you know, security disclosures. Um, then you lose clearances. Um, you have to hire counsel. You have to take prescribed medication. I mean, that's just um, a bad path to go down, you know. So I'm not in favor, you know, of preemptively restricting somebody's um, uh, gun rights. With the most recent legislation that was passed, uh, what do you think the landscape for red flag laws is likely to look like in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia in the next year or two? Uh, D.C. is very aggressive with some red flag policies. Mm -hmm. uh, Virginia, not so much. Uh, Virginia is more conservative. Maryland is middle ground. Um, they have some responsible laws, but it's important to understand how in practice it actually works. Mm -hmm. um, if the system works, it could save lives, but if the system does not work, it can really ruin lives for job prospects. You're talking about, um, again, thousands, we talk about one gun. So you, if you have multiple guns, um, you're talking about uh, a process that um, they have to come into your home. Sheriff's office has to take your firearms. It's a process on getting back your firearms. Um, during that process, you can't defend yourself with your own firearms. Um, you can't be around firearms. Um, so I am just, I'm, I'm really, let's just say it, anti. <laughs> uh, preemptively taking somebody's firearms. Uh, mm -hmm. from them. Uh, but um, I understand the philosophy of, you know, you want to help them, number one, but that does not put a good band-aid on the problem of mental health. Um, so uh, crisis management, um, how are all the quote unquote flags prior to the event? Like, did somebody see this coming? Um, we need to actually support mental health professionals and, you know, um, training more of them, you know, interjecting mental health awareness on, you know, trying to get them in in gun classes. Mm -hmm. You know, I've trained many physicians, many um, mental health professionals 
with in my classes and they it's helped them in their practices mm-hmm. you know what to look for what what signs to look for but uh preemptively doing something um even though your intent is good um is a very very third rail ish uh topic absolutely um what um you know the, the the aspect of this that's always funny to me is that it seems like with 95% certainty every time you see one of these really high profile mass shootings you know subject was known to the FBI <laughs> and so oh, and yeah. and and it's it's one of those situations where I'm, I'm so leery of red flag laws precisely because it doesn't uh, in in so many of the cases where there was a relevant person it, it the FBI didn't even you know, it, it, it wasn't like if only they had this tool this could have been avoided in Uh, most of the cases it's mm. they knew about it and they just didn't they didn't do anything because they're distracted with other nonsense or you know the 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 fbi is too busy you know trying to create crises that don't exist instead of actually uh Mm. doing their job um it just doesn't seem like the the squeaky will in the system is that law enforcement doesn't have enough you know without cause power to to take away people's rights yeah i believe that the implementation of the current laws on the books if done well would be a great solution mm-hmm. creating additional laws slash policies on top of what we have is not a solution that typically works well holistically. Law enforcement have difficult jobs to do because there's a fine balance regarding freedom. The again, the Second Amendment is not absolute. You can't have a rocket launcher, okay, in an urban setting, and literally believe that that is prudent policy, okay. They have a right to protect us as a public, mm-hmm. and so that tool, that tank, that RPG, should be limited from harming hundreds at the same time if you live in montana (laughs) i love montana by the way um and you have you know 40 acres then sure enough um maybe not so much an rpg (laughs) but it's a different environment it's a it's a different circumstance that law enforcement needs to react in a different way and so an urban setting, law enforcement has a fine line on how to proactively and aggressively um, keep people safe. Mm-hmm. And so if you can keep people safe by um, staying on top of uh, these people uh, um, that are really um, the the very, very few, uh, then it, it it's again a difficult job no no one says that this stuff is going to be easy um we live in a society that 
Freedom is not free. There's a cost. You need to hire law enforcement. You need to train law enforcement. You need to train the public. Um, you need to do you need to do wonderful podcasts like this, you know, to get the education out to say, you know, law enforcement is not the boogeyman either. You know, I I, I mean, law enforcement is wonderful, uh, but you need to understand that they also need to respect you and they and you need to respect them mm-hmm. and their jobs are difficult. Um, everybody has a camera, everybody's, you know, putting everybody under a microscope, microscope, um, New York post the Bruin case. Um, they want to limit as of September one firearms, um, applicants for a concealed carry in New York, right. To, you need to have all social media access to the government. You need to have um, references for references um, you, for character um, uh, vetting. You need to have sit in front of a board to justify to justify um, your post. Like, like, like. I don't want to give you my Twitter handle. You know, and sir, you, you made fun of President Brandon here. Are you a terrorist? <laughs> right, right. Like it's a slippery slope. You know, it's a slippery slope. And a lot of times these individuals in power, they have, you know, 10 man teams that are armed and they speak from these, you know, castles on the hill and saying, you know, guns are bad and, you know, no guns for anyone. And you walk around with 10 guns, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, So it's just it's just um, it's a slippery slope, man. And, And then. And then on top of that, there's a panel made up of one law enforcement officer, I believe, um, three administrators to justify whether or not your social media um, warrants terrorist activity. Like, like some soccer mom in, you know, you know, Long Island should not be questioning whether or not my post um, is is a uh, has terroristic tones, you know. So I just I have I have no um, no support of you know digging into somebody's social media. Now social media is real. There are law enforcement um, IT professionals that actually look at stuff because you know social media that that's proactively getting aggressive. You know if somebody is really you know, on the fringe and saying some hateful things. Okay. Um, we have a first amendment, you know, so, um, there, you can't, you can't incite, you know, violence, um, inciting violence is not protected speech, but what do you need to do to sway people? Like, well, like what's, what's the deal with, um, okay. I, this my these are my political views. You know, people can't stand this politician and they can't stand it. You know, I'll kill them. <laughs> like, like really put them in the ground forever. Like really, um, uh, you really need to talk things out, you know, mm-hmm. but just because you, um, is that a real threat? Like, let's say you did say that, but is that a real threat to that person? Um, so I, I am very, anti 
um, digging in somebody's social media and things of that nature. And um, but that does not mean that law enforcement should not look at social media that has been publicly posted. Um, there are some really um, deranged people that actually will put manifestos out, you know, before they do some heinous crime. Um, and so that law enforcement should try to, you know, find that balance, but uh, government should not go into, you know, social media and then have some panel um, judge, you know, whether or not that's cool or not. Pivoting to what I think is the tail that's going to wag the dog of a lot of gun regulation over the next couple of decades. Uh, what's a ghost gun? Oh, so a ghost gun is an unregistered um, firearm um, for use. So you, you can build a firearm and it hasn't been reported to ATF and it's a device, um, but it's it can't be tracked per se. Um, and um, there are different materials that can come from you building a firearm in that capacity. And um, politicians will say, we don't want ghost guns because law enforcement, it, it, it crimps the law enforcement's job to finding out where the bad guys are. Well, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> um, that's retroactively speaking. Uh, and so you have to understand, okay, um, you want to know where and who has firearms, okay? That's one approach. But the other approach is that if you have a firearm that's registered or unregistered, un understand that most jurisdictions do not have mandatory gun registration policies or statutes or provisions. They don't. Most states are open carry in this country in the first place. Um, then on top of that, most states do not have a gun registration um, mandate. So whether or not the firearm has a serial number or not, um, that's, that's up for debate. But um, I understand where law enforcement is trying to go with that. They want to know if... If it really hits the fan, where are these guns? Hopefully we can get a jump start on where these guns were purchased, um, who has the firearms, where were they sold, um, where were they transferred? It just gives them an investigative step forward. Mm -hmm. But outside of a gun being sold 13, 14, 100 times, um, then to each his own, you know, um, but there are tools. And on top of that, what happens if something goes wrong? That's the other side. So let's say something does go wrong and you built this gun and then you let somebody else handle this gun and they get injured. Like who's really at fault? And, you know, gun manufacturers have standards, you know, um, there's things with milling and, and all the, you know, gunpowder management. So um, I would I would be very careful to say that, okay, um, you don't want gun, uh, ghost guns per se, unregistered firearms in the District of Columbia or Maryland or, you know, California. Okay, that's fine. I understand your point. You're, you're trying to get a grapple on where guns are, but that is not 
the solution on what we need to be talking about in regard to, you know, um, how you need to be training people. You need to be empowering people with, um, guess what? Guns are not bad. It just happens to be that how you use them, you know, it's, it's really important for people to really just dive into, um, the concept of we need to be educated, you know, and then that, that kind of like diffuses a lot of angst with people once they're empowered. Um, a lot of these people that don't want the quote unquote government in their business, and then they do a Twitter post, <laughs> the government's in your business. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you got a ghost gun and you live in a cave, but you're on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, uh, they know where you are. Right. <laughs> you know, talk to me a little bit about the technology that's enabling this to become more and more life question because it used to be okay you need all this complicated milling equipment and everything what's 3d printing and some of this new technology bringing to the mm. table that's going to make this a much more prolific um question in the next decade or two i really believe that well the technology's not there okay um you know, if somebody has sweaty hands or the person has um, the the batteries are low or the the range is not appropriate um, and then the fire doesn't work in a situation where you really need to work. You know, you have a bracelet that's supposed to be close to a handgun. And um, I am not a fan at all. You know, um, again, my background's in mercy preparedness. Um, you can plan for the worst and hope for the best, but, um, certain situations warrant, um, somebody who normally doesn't have that firearm to actually have that firearm in that certain situation. And because of technology, they can't defend themselves. They can't defend others just because, they're, they don't have a bracelet. And you're talking yeah. about like the smart guns. The smart all, guns. All this yeah. Stuff. Okay. Um, in terms of in terms of the technology for like stamping, um, the, again, the technology is not there. And what are we talking What's about? Stamping. Um, so let's say micro stamping. They, they can actually stamp like the casings, um, stamp um, the the actual rounds that come out. And so, again, law enforcement can get a heads up to, you know, where this ammo came from, where what what literally this fingerprint, quote unquote, for the firearm um, is, you know, and then it goes to gun registration. OK, so this firearm was fired by this person um, because this person owned this gun and yada, yada, yada. And where was this person uh, at the time? So it, it gives them a heads up you know, how to start investigations, mm -hmm. but it doesn't correct the problem. Why were they robbed mm -hmm. in the first place? Like, um, are there any reasons why there aren't any police officers in this part of town? You know, so that's a different perspective, mm -hmm. but I don't think um, technology mm -hmm. is the answer for that. And that's the technology that could be used as a method to regulate guns. I'm curious what you make of the technology that will make it impossible to regulate guns. Stuff like being able to 3D print your own weapons, stuff like that. Do you think mm. that technology is there? What do you think the consequences of it starting to proliferate are going to be? I th well, the technology is actually there. Mm. You can 3D print a gun. Um, the printer that it 
that allows you to do that is more than your house. <laughs> so, um, um, so everybody cannot just get um, that device in order to print a firearm. But again, uh, this is not your little, you know, makes a little mini figurine with low resolution. It's not an HP from Staples, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so from that aspect, um, some people uh, get um, they they get their their uh their hopes up too high to say oh, okay i can print as many guns as i want no you can't um and it's difficult it's not it's possible but it's it's not easy and so uh to be really good and then let's say you do again you print a firearm you create a firearm you go to the range it doesn't function well like mm-hmm. would you want just yourself um being a gun person to rely on that firearm for reliability sake Mm -hmm. in a situation where you really needed it to work, you know? So um, that's another, you know, path that you can go down. But at at the same time, I really don't believe that people that are really, I don't want to say paranoid, but they just don't understand some of the aspects of why there are certain things that should be compliant with regulation. You know, there are real consequences for, you know, shooting a firearm and it malfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, you can not only harm yourself, you can harm others. Explode in your face. <laughs> Explode in your face. You know, um, yeah, that's a little, you know, side note. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- there are things that they should be aware of Mm -hmm. and so i just think that you know people need to be careful you know Mm -hmm. and um outside of media okay the federal government is the most powerful entity in the world okay so um again uh if they if resources are meant to be um then sure enough um uh, they'll they'll know you Mm -hmm. know and so again it's proactively trying to stop um, somebody from doing something in the future. And it, this is not, you know, Hollywood. It's not the minority report. Okay. Um, so you can't pro, um, proactively prevent. Okay. Um, no one can stop someone preemptively from drawing a firearm and going crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so that that's just not possible. Mm-hmm. You can, do all that you can to educate, promote, empower, but you cannot prevent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, people just have to have a mindset of, you know, there's a fine line in freedom. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be free, um, you have to be willing to play by the rules mm-hmm. and the rules need to be set where they're not restrictive. Mm -hmm. So if you have two restrictive rules, then you're not free. Um, So it's a balance and people need to have a understanding that once you get that balance, then you're good. 10 years from today, what do you think the landscape for guns in the United States is going to look like? Do you think, uh, there's going to be higher rates of gun ownership, lower rates. Do you think the laws are going to be more permissive, less permissive? 
are people going to finally get over the idea that we can gun control away our problems? What what peer into the crystal ball for me? What's going to happen? I believe I'm going to have a different approach to that tonight. A uh, question. My question. My answer will be. Um, law enforcement with judges should ag be aggressive with um, criminals. If you are found guilty and our process in this country is that you are innocent, you can get counsel, okay? And you can go through a process. But once you're found to be one of those people, okay, the law should come down hard. Straight okay? to jail. <laughs> Straight to jail. <laughs> STJ. Um, and a lot of these prolific incidents recent, in recent times have been with multiple offenders. They do something, they're criminally prosecuted, and they're out in an hour. Like, that should not happen. And when you embolden criminals, then sure enough, that's the result that you get. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I think gun ownership will go through the roof because the legislatures of our nation are are going to be slow to catch up and because they'll be slow to catch up criminals will go rampant and then people are then going to get firearms thinking that they're going to need to defend themselves and then until you really have strong policies to just cramp down on you know why are you out here? You've been locked up eight times, you know, and you're still a you know menace to society. You know, um, that needs to be the critical point. Mm -hmm. And um, we need to be transparent about, you know, legislative um, policies that are very laxed. You know, um, you know, we need to close the wall, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, close the border, close the close the loopholes um, to the best of our ability. And then again, use what we have on the books now and just go hardcore with it. Um, but if we're just, you know, go spinning the wheel, okay, we prosecute, we found you, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of resources, counsel, um, uh, attorney generals, and, and then we, we have trials and then you're out, <laughs> you're out to do it again. Yeah. Like that's not a cycle that we're ready for. Absolutely. Leon, how can people, uh, get in contact with you, find out about the services that you offer, uh, get trained up to get a gun? <laughs> um, our website is dcconcealedcarry.com and we would love to have you. Um, you can always call our office and, um, I, I really pride myself on having individual instruction and people really need to be empowered, you know, come get educated. Um, you don't have to carry a firearm, but I really um, look forward to, you know, educating people. Uh, I train, you know, high folks from, you know, major cable networks 
to the the guy that has a small shop mm-hmm. um so that he wants to you know have a firearm mm-hmm. um in his in his um uh, in his in his store mm-hmm. to defend himself um so it really depends on what you want mm-hmm. but you can always reach out uh to us um uh, via our website um you can call our office and um i hope to see you soon well, Leon, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come uh, come talk to our It's always audience. nice. It's yeah. always nice. We, we always have the best time. Uh, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last year or so, and uh, uh, thank you for everything that this you do. This is the first time <laughs> of many. That's right. That's right. Great. Well, you have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. You too. Hopefully you guys learned something from that. Uh, please be sure to check out Leon. He is fantastic. And if you want to get just get directly connected with him, those of you who have my seller email, for, feel free to just text me. Um, we, we're, we're huge fans of him over here. As always, check out AmericanMoment.org. There you can find everything that we're working on, including the backlog of this podcast, well over 100 hours of content, 70 full-length episodes, uh, each at least an hour long. Um, we really have a hard time believing we've done as much of this as we have, and we still have a good chunk of season two left to go. Um, so thank you guys for listening. As always, there's been a spike in listenership lately. I think you guys have really enjoyed the last few episodes. Some of you are just, you know, journal creeps that are listening in post that Axios article uh, about everything that we have cooking. That's fine too, I guess. Um, but please be sure to uh, to sign up for our mailing list on the website at AmericanMoment.org. And in general, uh, just keep up to date with everything we're doing. Uh, we're gearing up for a very, very exciting um, fall and winter and going into the new year when there'll be some changes here in Washington. And if you'd like to be a part of some of those changes, go to AmericanMoment.org slash join. We'll have a conversation and we'll make sure that you are able to contribute to this fight in every way that makes sense. Have a wonderful day, guys. Moment of Truth is an American Moment Studios production filmed at the Conservative Partnership Center. Our podcast is produced and edited by Jake Mercier and Jared Cummings. Our intro music is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Serenich. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all platforms, and you can go to AmericanMoment.org to learn more. Thank you.